welcome to Shattered Lives, a lively, educational, and issues-driven radio show designed to tell another side of the story, to focus on and humanize crime victims, to enlighten and shine the spotlight on organizations and service providers, and to assist those who walk the path with us. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you this Saturday evening and every Saturday evening for a variety of shows focusing on the aftermath of crime um, in the whole. And hopefully we provide you with um, awareness, uh, enlightenment, and uh, entertainment as well as um, primarily education. And uh, this evening we have a uh, sort of a follow-up show to an issue that I had written about um, on my blog on DonnaGore.com, excuse me, perhaps um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's kind of blossomed into a variety of different um, areas, uh, and I have the the great opportunity to have someone on the show this evening who um, is kind of up uh, front and center with this issue, along with people in the Connecticut legislature and a special task force. But I have to tell you that, unfortunately, uh, even though I tried to prepare very early due to the timing of the uh, legislative session closing, we were not able to have some of the other people that very much wanted to be on this show. So perhaps if it works out and if they do, we we may do a follow-up show um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the um, in the future. But um, before I introduce my guest, just let me say good evening, Delilah. It's so nice to have you back. Thank you so much for joining me this evening, and I hope all is well with you. Hey, it's good to be back, and uh, it was a nice break, but um, here I am. <laughs> well, good. Thank you. I really do appreciate what you do so much. Um and uh, it takes just a little bit of the burden off of my shoulders, and that that helps a lot. Um, so, Lila, this evening we're we're talking about um, the abandoned baby issue, and we have um, former Chief Robert Kosiansky from Meriden, Connecticut. And if anyone, just let me say a couple of brief things about that, and then I'm going to throw it back to you. Meriden, Connecticut, just for people who don't know is the site where um, I had the pleasure to do the Q Center for the Missing um, Tour this past summer at the uh, State Police Museum there. So we are we are known there. And another event that I recently went to uh, in which I met Chief Kozienski was the Connecticut Police Mem- uh, Memorial um, of which he is the head of the foundation, and it is indeed a beautiful, a beautiful tribute there. It was a beautiful ceremony, and I was so, so pleased to be able to be part of that event. And that that is also featured on my website. There is a blog about that as well. So we're we're kind of up to date here. But um, uh, I I just want to uh, bring in Bob now, and then I'm going to ask Delilah a question or two regarding what's going on with. South Carolina and our issue. So, um, Chief Bob, I want to say it's after all these weeks of chatting with you and meeting you, it's such a pleasure to have you on Shattered Lives. Thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it's it's our pleasure. Um, can you just give us a little bit of thumbnail sketch of your of of your background uh, um, in in law enforcement? Just so that people know. I started, and I'll tell you, this gives away my age, I guess, but uh, it's okay. I started in law enforcement in 1961. I was appointed to the police academy in August of 1961, graduated in December of 1961, and out of 36 men in the class, nine were picked as supernumeraries, which means you're uh, kind of an auxiliary officer, and then within a matter of days, I was appointed as a regular police officer in December, and uh, from that point on to this very day, I still feel, even, even though I'm retired, that I'm still in law enforcement. Anyway, uh, went through the ranks as a patrolman. In those days, you had to walk before you got to a cruiser, and that took anywhere from 
nine months to a year. Then they put you in a cruiser. You had to earn everything and show the old-timers that you could do the uh, police work. It was difficult. We were trained by the state police, by the FBI, and by local uh, people in law enforcement, and uh, it was a good education. A year later, I volunteered to go to the State Police Training Academy, which was called the Connecticut Chiefs of Police Academy, and lived with the uh, state as well as regular officers for a month in uh, Bethany, Connecticut. Graduated that course, which was great. Very, very, very intense courses, what they put you through. Law enforcement is not an easy profession. I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved every bit of it. And you... Um but so over a period of time, you've been in law enforcement for about forty years, and you you rose through the ranks such that you were you were chief in Meriden for fifteen years. Is that right? I was chief in Meriden for fifteen years, but I was also a police officer for forty. I started as a patrolman, was yep. promoted to sergeant after having taken my exam, was examined again, examined again when I went for lieutenant, became a lieutenant, and we went through a tough, rigorous uh, period again when. Uh, we were vying for the chief's job, and I uh, was appointed chief of police in Meriden in uh, 1985. Well, that's great. That you know, you've had you've had a stellar career, and I was uh, fortunate enough to meet either by phone or in person some of your relatives too, and I was very impressed there. Is there before we get into what brought you to this issue? Is there any I know you've had a number of accomplishments over your life um, in law enforcement. Is there any particular um, time period or accomplishment that that you are most proud of that has created a lasting impact? There are many things in every man's career, and I don't want to sound like I'm really singing about me or talking about me, but uh, many things. Years back, when I first became chief, we were still using the old-fashioned six-shooter. They were the cold... Yep. Uh, six shot that we had. We went from that, I changed the weapon. I went from that to the nine millimeter, which we needed because the individuals on our streets were carrying heavy weapons compared to what we had, and uh, we managed right. to get the nine millimeter, which was great. What? I That's... brought in the uh, foot patrol. I flew to Flint, Michigan, and uh, learned about their foot patrol, which actually was what we had done prior to uh, to, the, to my flight to Flint, Michigan, our chief at that time, when I, uh, I was a rookie cop, decided that we would uh, cover more territory by being in a cruiser, and he did away with the walking beats, which he meant well, but it was a mistake. You have to talk to the people, meet the people, meet them out in the street, and get to know what the heartbeat of the neighborhood is, and, uh, and that's what yeah. it's all about. So having flown to Mich- Flint, Michigan... I learned that everything we had done in the past is what they were doing in addition to the car patrol. They would park the car, walk, meet the people, get back in the car, and they could respond to any kind of a complaint. But they had uh, the double feature. They could walk or they could ride, which was great. I've introduced that back again into Meriden, and uh, it's now uh, in effect. It's great. And we also have the school resource officers, which I brought into effect at that time. In other words, to be an officer in school, things get crazy sometimes in the school system. And uh, in order to control the kids, it's a shame that we've come this far, but you do need police officers in schools. When did they actually start that where they had school resource officers, Bob? Oh, gosh. Around, uh, oh, just before 2000. Just before 2000? Okay. I, I another accomplishment that I was quite proud of, I yeah. managed to come through the ranks with the Connecticut Chiefs and became the president of the Connecticut uh, Chiefs Association, which was an honor, really an honor. And that wow. was back in 2000 and 2001. So. Mm-hmm. And now That's you're kind of in charge of the memorial as well, which is, is quite an honor, right? It's great. They uh, allowed me, they asked me if I would give a speech in 19... 19- 87, which I did in 1988. I was asked to be part of the foundation and uh, made master ceremonies from that time on to this very day. They said, as long as you want the job, as long as you're alive and want it and can do it, God bless you, you can do it. Well, that's that's wonderful. It sounds like you've had you've had quite a, a, a stellar track record, and and it's it's really nice to know that you you've um, you know brought all your talents to the fore. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, how how you were brought to this issue with regard to abandoned babies. Wasn't there a particular case 
that came along in Meriden. Could you describe that case for us? We refer to the case as the David Paul case. That was a name given to this baby. It was back in 88. It was in January, January 2nd of 1988, that I got a call from my uh, captain, captain of uh, patrol, and he stated that we had a sad case and explained this is before I was getting ready to go to work in the morning. could have been about 6.30, 7 o'clock. He said a baby had been found abandoned in South Meriden in uh a parking lot belonging to the Aero Gasket Company, a company that worked with Pratt Whitney to build airplane parts. And the mm-hmm. baby against a tree, frozen solid. And I said, that's horrible. Anyway. Ooh. The baby the was against the tree and frozen solid? The mother had given birth. She carried the baby full term. She placed the baby in a blanket. She wrapped the baby very comfortably. Now, this is sad and had lain the baby up against a tree, and it was below zero, and the baby froze to death. And thank God no animals came by and picked that baby up. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine coming upon a scene like that. A passerby happened to spot the blanket, checked, and it was the baby, and uh, from that point on, the rest is the story of David Paul. Mm. Anyway, we did our level-headed best to try to find out who the mom was, and it was difficult. We checked around the neighborhood, wondering if there may be someone who was young, had had been pregnant, and suddenly wasn't, and just dropped the baby. But we didn't have any luck with that. We even checked with Dr. Henry Lee. He he had his office in Marion, if you're familiar with him, one of the greatest forensic scientists in the United States, in the world, really. He checked and couldn't do anything or find anything out. So the mother was never identified? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, the mother was never identified? No, we thought we had come close, but we really didn't. And the sad part is my mom had many children. My mom had 13 children. In fact, you're talking to the 13th. I'm the baby of 13. Oh, really? Never would would (laughs) any of my family members ever dream of doing what happened here. Yeah. Uh, The cold was unforgiving, but David uh, Paul did... uh, did die. He froze to death. Hard to believe how a mom can carry a baby full term. Mm-hmm. And we used yeah. to ask, so still do, why? And many people were stunned about that. The community was shocked. And anyway, was that we the first case process. that you knew in, in 1988? Was that the first case of an abandoned baby? It's the first case. And it happened in Meriden. Okay. And we, it was public all over the, the state, all over the United States as a result of this. Well, anyway, uh, we managed to, uh, after the, we had to take blood samples and so forth. But still, if we could ever find the mom, we can compare them through DNA. And uh, maybe one day we'll find out. Either the mom will come forward or who knows what. Maybe someday we will identify the mom. But yeah. uh, never forget this. The Reverend Ralph Roy, who was a pastor of the First United Methodist Church at the time, worked closely with us. And he helped us name the baby with the beautiful name David Paul, which means God's beloved little man. And we, the officers of the Maryland Police Department, adopted him as our own with a commitment to never, never forget, which we haven't. Mm-hmm. And we celebrate his birthday yearly since January 2nd, 1988. Oh, wow. Is there a special plaque for him at, um, in Meriden? Yes, there is. A wonderful family, and I can't give you the name, gave us a plot of land for David Paul. The funeral director didn't charge anything for the wonderful funeral we had. We had children from the uh, schools, local schools, jammed the church when we had the, the uh, celebration of David Paul, which I call a celebration. It was sad, but it was still beautiful. And the mayor mm-hmm. and uh, certain dignitaries gave speeches, and I was fortunate enough to give the speech, and it hit us. It really did. And if my wife was alive at the time, this goes back 28 years ago, we would have adopted that baby if we could have. Wow. And it was a little blonde, blue-eyed child and probably weighed about uh, eight pounds, seven or eight pounds, and that was about that it. Right? But uh, Reverend Ralph Roy is the one who named him God's beloved mm-hmm. little man. Beautiful. Right. Did he, is there, just just as a matter of reference, is there a different manner of investigating this kind of a, a case versus others, or is it, it is it the same, basically, um, for any for other types of, of, of crimes? Each case is unique. You can't. You could say, well, we could do the same investigation for them all, but each one has its own uh, variables. Things happen. 
and uh, we investigate every every time we have a death. By the way, in law enforcement, we treat each one as a homicide, and we work downward. I don't know if you know that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's someone who yeah. passed away normally, or whether we do, we look at things. We have to investigate them thoroughly and uh, to the best of our ability. We feel comfortable in what we do, and uh, with David Paul, the only uncomfortable thing was that we couldn't find out who the mom was. But we never gave up on him. We go to that site each mm-hmm. and every year. We were going to the uh, to the church each and every year, but it got to a point where not too many people were coming in. So we decided to go to the cemetery site, and each January 2nd, we have an honor guard yeah. from the Maryland Police Department. Mm-hmm. We have a few dignitaries and several people who are really concerned about David Paul. And the irony is, when the honor guard shows up, many of the officers are around 24, 25 years old. David Paul would have been uh, 28. And is that right? Wow. I've said this. Would he have been a police officer? Whatever he would have been, he never had the opportunity in his set. But I look at these young faces on the officers and say to myself, right. you're blessed. You had a mom and dad. You were raised right. But poor David right. Paul didn't. That is indeed sad. And, you know, for cases here in Connecticut, and I don't know if it applies for everyone, I just wanted to let people know what the uh, what the, def- the statutory definition was. Um and because in my blog I addressed the the case of of Amanda Beckett in Cheshire in 1995, a 16-year-old girl, and uh, that was kind of the impetus for us to to begin the safe haven law in our in our state in year 2000. And it's a very interesting case. It has many twists and turns. Uh, just because it's an affluent community doesn't mean it doesn't happen there as well, and it did. And the ironic part, the, the mom was a pediatric nurse, and she didn't even know that her daughter was giving birth to a baby, and there was lies involved and whatever. But wanted to let you know that uh, manslaughter in the second degree, a person is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree when he or she recklessly causes the death of another person. And for the defendant to have a, a guilty charge, the state must prove uh, two elements. They must prove that the defendant caused the death, and that the defendant's act, uh, uh, the defendant's actions resulted in the death, were reckless. So I don't know if that applies in every case. I believe the just had mentioned that in in uh, the, the case she was stating about the um, it was attempted murder. Now, Delilah, can you can you um, bring us up to date? There, I did mention a case that had just happened. The same day I wrote the blog, and I'm not sure if it's the one that you just mentioned, there's two of them that we thought we would discuss. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because both of the cases here are very similar to the ones that you've already discussed. Um, the first one is what we call Baby baby Boy Ori. He named after Ori County. Um, he was found... In a in a tote bag on the side of the road in December 2008, and just like in the case that you just spoke about, um, the mother has never been able to be located. Um, and the community did rally in law enforcement, and they had the funeral. They have a, a grave site for him where he's still memorialized um, each year. And then the latest case was here in Myrtle Beach. Um, in April, there right. was a baby that was left in a dumpster in an apartment complex. And just happily, in this circumstance, a couple of uh, people were taking their trash out. They heard the cries and got in and started digging around through the bags, and they found the bag that this child was in. And, of course... Um, you know his little fa- or her little face. It was a little girl. Was up against the plastic. So gosh, God only knows had they not found her at that particular moment. Um, you know she may she have is. been dead as well. But um, the the news media immediately put out um, there was surveillance video of who they suspected the mother was, and she did turn herself in. But in in South Carolina, we have what's called Daniel's Law, and what that states is if a baby is harmed, then the immunity from prosecution may not apply. And I'm kind of thinking this may be applying in this case. Um, she was Ooh. actually, just on June 3rd, she was indicted for attempted murder charges. 
So, you know, these are the two cases, just like hundreds and hundreds across the country that are just so, so sad to hear about. And and we just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, and I just can't even imagine, you know, what goes through a person's mind. And, you know, the unfortunate thing with this recent case was that this woman, she's 23 years old, she has other children. She's one or two other children, so you know. Of course, DSS is in charge of all of them, and um, you know. So it it there again is that ripple effect of a crime that goes through and affects many many lives that some people just don't take time to stop and think before they do what they do, and I don't know that there's a cure for that, but. You know, there's there's got to be some solutions, and maybe we can get into that discussion now. Where where are the solutions yeah. to this? What what are we doing as a society, and how can we get people involved? People of all ages involved. Where we have to meet people where they are. Um, you know, whether it's in in high schools, colleges, whatever age group that this is happening to, um, we have to meet them right there and. Maybe our guests can offer some solutions to that question. Sure. Um, I know we talked about that because there has been somebody that has been emailing my website with particular point of view with regard to the the point that you just made with respect to a lot of the uh, advocacy is done by older people, legislators, who may not be in touch with the issue in the same manner. Um, Bob, what do you what do you think of this, and, and what do you think solutions should be in uh, 2015? I wish I had a great solution. I don't, but get out, get the news out. Let the young girls, let the moms who can't seem to take care of the children, let them know that there is a place like a safe haven. Don't trash your baby is what this is all about. And with the safe haven, no blame, no shame, no names. In Connecticut, this is great. And uh, if you do bring, if the girl brings a baby in, she has 30 days to either come back or, or leave the baby. But And she won't be asked any questions. Bring the baby to someone that could really care at the hospital, any hospital in Connecticut, and uh, that will be cared for. But get the word out to the to the mothers, whether they're a young teenager, whether they're in their 20s or 30s, let them know that there is a place that the baby could be safe at. Don't do this crazy thing that they've done and abandoned some beautiful child that they carried for nine months and how they could just coldly uh, abandon the child is beyond me. I don't have a definite solution. I wish I did, but advertise this. Well, let let me ask you mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Is there, within this organization, the Safe Haven organization, do they have like local chapters or anything like that i know there's an organization i'm familiar with who is setting up chapters in school not this particular issue it's a different issue altogether but they've grown quite a bit in the past few years simply because that's what they've done they've they've gone into schools they've gone into you know where these young people may be young girls young women and it it's kind of like setting up a peer-to-peer group within the community, within the school, and it's very, very successful. And do you think, or is there something like that that can be done through the Safe Haven uh, organization? I'm sure that uh, they've formed a committee of sorts. I don't have the names of the individuals, but let me start with this. State Representative Ann Dandro from Southington asked me back in 2000 to testify as uh, in behalf of the safe haven law regarding David Paul, the baby, and I did. And recently I was asked, I guess in March, by Dante Bartolomeo, she's a state senator, if I would come back to the committee in Hartford, Connecticut, and testify as I had prior to that so we can push this, this knowledge about the safe haven law out to everybody, and yes, I did uh, show up, but I don't know. Dante uh, is available, and Hatchy mm-hmm. Bench should probably fill you in with that, but uh, I hope they do have, and I'm sure they do have, individuals, sort of a committee, working on this. 
There is a chat. There is, from what I understand from talking to the uh, the communications director for the permanent uh, the 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 uh, permanent commission on the status of women, uh, who is very much involved um, in this issue. There is a special task force that uh, former former uh, representative Pam Sawyer, who has taken the lead on this, uh, is is doing. And unfortunately, she was was unavailable today as well. Everything's kind of a matter of timing, and and there is. But in terms of the kinds of places that people are going, I know reading um, of other uh, other states, Delilah and Bob, that uh, Massachusetts appears to be in the forefront, and the different types of things that, that they are doing there, um, uh, they even have like a. Um, some type of a, a, a nightclub that they called Baby Hazen Nightclub. They they were they were doing um, rap songs as uh, uh, public service announcements and putting them out on YouTube or videos, and they seem to get the highest response uh, with regard to those kinds of things and peer to peer counseling. So I think whatever it is that they are doing in Massachusetts seems to be one of the most effective um, states. Uh, I know that a majority of states have similar laws. Um, Illinois does does as well. Um, but I, I think your your statement, Delilah, about meeting them where where they are is absolutely the the, the best thing. Um, schools seem to be. You know the haven for everything. Guidance counseling. Now there are there are um, medical medical centers in schools because people don't have access to them. I mean, I think that's where we need to go, or we're definitely where people hang out. Maybe it's the mall. I don't know, but we definitely need to do that. There is another push in, um, from what what I know in Connecticut is that. Um, as with many states, but our state especially, because I think we, we're kind of not using our budget wisely, but because of us being cash-strapped, the idea was that on August, on um, April uh, 1st or, or so, April 8th, we they crafted a law that would create the awareness of this just to try to, to increase awareness. And uh, because I believe the last... The last abandoned baby that they had documented was last year in August of 2014 in East Starford where a baby was found um, dead in, in a trash can. And they said, you know, what can we do? And they have to have no-cost methods because we do not have money to put into this. So, again, if if, if it's people who are... <laughs> I hate to say it, my age, older, and they're not necessarily in touch with social media. What they try to do, and Bob, you can come in and add some more things if, if, if you know because you spoke with these people. They have created a Facebook page um, called Don't Trash Your Baby, and it's very intense. There's definitely the dumpster right there, and there's information on how to contact Department of Children and Family. And um, I believe, you know, they're going to have a bigger push all of social media as well as trying to find a volunteer videographer. And they have collected a number of stories from people, um, women who have gone through this uh, in, in which to create a documentary to be shown. And uh, so those are some of the some of the plans that I believe we have in this state that are no-cost measures. Uh, and I know that there are things like brochures that they that they do have, I believe, for uh, DCF. But beyond that, until I talk to some of the other people that could not be here, I'm not familiar. Bob, do you know of any other specific solutions here? No, I don't. Efforts? Going back to uh, 1988, yeah. we were told from the very beginning that if the hospital, if the girl or the woman couldn't get to the hospital, that any police department or fire department would be glad to help the young lady out and do the same as the hospital or hospitals in the state. 
However, they've kind of fine-tuned that now to hospitals alone. But as I stated, back in 1988, it was any police department or fire department or even ambulance uh, company. But uh, mm-hmm. maybe so that should be the case here. The more, the, I shouldn't say the merrier, the better it would be if they knew that they didn't have to travel just to the uh, just to the hospital. But as I stated, mm-hmm. this is what's in the rules and regulations they have now, that they feel that uh, this is the best way to go, bring the child to the hospital. And uh, the mother doesn't have to say anything. Again, it says if you can't take care of your baby, bring it to any emergency room in Connecticut. And don't worry about questions. You're not going to get in trouble. The baby definitely is safe, and so are you. And the good part is if the girl or a mom, whatever, changes her mind, she has 30 days to come back and get her baby. And no charges placed. And, and this is great. So let's hope that works. Right, and I don't believe they they don't even have to share medical history, although I think it would be important um, to know that just in case because you never know um, what, you know, what what may happen. Um, So so there is that. There's another aspect of this, and and, uh, Bob and Delilah, I don't know if you've you've heard of this, but with regard to a a registry for fathers, um, and it's... uh, um it's it's a, a registry uh at the state level where there's a legal option where unmarried males can if they're interested in parental rights in this process that they can document through a notary um public uh who who they have had intercourse with document that and and submit that and in some states, multiple states, whether it be the the state where you you may have had a girlfriend in another state, and now you're living somewhere else, and if they submit that, then um, if if uh, rights are are asked to be terminated through the court, then um, the father uh, or or the potential father can can have a say so. And I guess there are uh, 17 states. Uh, do not do not have such a registry, and I I don't believe Connecticut does, and I'm not sure that South Carolina was listed. But have you have you heard of that before? No, I haven't. But to have somebody come forward and give you that kind of information is kind of difficult. You're going to get some young individuals who are going to say, "I don't want any part of this." On the other hand, right. you get somebody who's really a decent individual, raised right by his parents, and has a lot of feeling for that baby. That could happen. The individual just might divulge the information you just stated, but uh, that's going to be kind of difficult. Yeah, I I don't know what the percentage would be of males that would want. want I mean, there there are young men that maybe want to you know be responsible and are interested in being young fathers, but I don't know that it might be the uh, exception versus the rule. And um, the interesting thing about this this topic is that when you try to look for United States or uh, uh, statistics on how many abandoned babies are there, you cannot find it because they are not, um, they're not necessarily tabulated. They may be tabulated on a regional or state basis, but, but, but not even, not even uh, very good records are held at that level. The only type of information that I really could find was with regard to China, and as we know, China has um, is very overpopulated. They they uh, act as if their female babies don't exist. They they just want male babies, and um, they have something that they devise called the baby hatch, which I I don't know, sort of a, a derogatory term, um, where you could drop off drop off babies. And as um, as of June 2014, in 11 days in China, 106 children were dropped off. Now, the, these children happen to be children with disabilities. And unfortunately, as we know, and um, many people are not equipped to handle uh, children with disabilities, and thank God my, my, my parents didn't feel that way, but um, especially there... Uh, or, you know, some of the critics with regard to the, the law, um, Bob, in 2000 in Connecticut, the, 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 a couple of the, the things that they used sort of as in opposition were that 
we weren't involving fathers, so it wasn't going to be effective, and that this could be licensed for people who, if they didn't like the gender of their baby, they could just abandon them, or if they had disabilities. What do you have anything to add to to, to comment about that, either of you? I mean, do you think there's a likelihood of that, or have you? I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. That was that was one of the the, the lines of opposition to uh, abandoned baby statutes. I don't have any information on that, but I do remember back in 2008, I got a call from Dr. Henry Lee stating that yeah. he had 20, 21 police officers coming from China to visit the United States. And these were heroes of an earthquake they had in China. And I don't have the information before me. I'm going strictly with my memory. Right. And in the one individual was a female out of the 21 and she was honored because she happened to be a mom who gave birth to a normal baby in China. She was a police officer and she saved many lives by finding when they found baby, she would give the baby her own milk. She saved many a life by providing that life-saving method of being a mom and breastfeeding those children they found in rubble in China. And what an Is honor. Is that right? Wow. Hunter's Ambulance at that time uh, had an open-door policy, and Dr. Lee asked me, because I worked for Hunter's as public relations officer, if uh, he could come down and they could see the facility of Hunter's Ambulance as, uh, and also the Meriden Police Department, which I did for them, but uh, we had luncheon and so forth. And these people were all heroes, but especially that uh, female police officer from China, and uh, it was great. We took them to the Meriden Police Department. They were very much impressed. And uh, they were impressed with the fact that a former chief still has respect, and I do. Honestly, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of my officers, even though I'm retired from the department. They're outstanding. And uh, never forget that female officer from China. Saved a lot of lives. Wow. I don't know how many, but they said that she had saved many babies as a result of breastfeeding. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I I know that um, from reading some of the material I had earlier today, um, Illinois is also one of the states in the in the forefront, and uh, but their law differs in that um, uh, the the mother has sixty day, uh, up to sixty days in which to uh, to turn in a baby before there would be any uh, you know any type of prosecution or um that 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 type of thing um i'm thinking that um in term in terms of solutions we we just have to i know Delilah, as a publicist in dealing with social media every day if if this was would it be very difficult to create a a facebook page for every state and just keep hammering this on on Facebook and Twitter, and, you know, people share it on their websites. I mean, how difficult could this be for young people? Well, I'm I'm sure there's already something out there, I think, you know, as far as, uh, of course, social media is always going to be a factor in it. It's always, you know, going to be out there for the public to use and the public to see. But, again, it's a matter of getting the information to those who are going to need it or may need it. You know, there's a possibility that they may need it. Um, it it's just really seems to be not so widespread. Um, and, again, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I really feel like it, part of the solution has to be a peer-to-peer thing where right. young girls or young women who have leadership abilities can be trained in in the laws and anything there is to do with this issue and they they talk among themselves they talk to other girls they, you know if this happens to you what would you do yada yada and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of it's kind of a social media thing as well if you think about it and and that's what social media is it's just having that conversation with um with targeted people and what better way to target than in person with within the school system or within churches or you know it just right i know we have billboards all over south carolina there's billboards everywhere that 
you know, give options. If, you know, are you pregnant? You have options. And hopefully, and I'm about 99% sure that that information or the information about Safe Haven, I'm sure, is given to, to these women at the time. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to get a billboard um, for for free? I mean, you know all the billboards that Monica Kaysan, um helps to get um, – are those well you kind of have you have to have donations? a little you have to have kind of um you have to know what you're doing and how to speak to the billboard companies and how to right. um make that happen but yes a lot of the billboard companies will donate a billboard if it's especially if it's an area that they haven't sold that particular spot they'll they want something up there they don't want just up an there. empty white space so yes they they're usually very willing to donate some of their billboard space for issues just like this right uh, years ago when i was when i was uh between careers i actually had a billboard up on the bob on the meriden berlin line uh, a billboard there uh, so I'll have to share someday that story with you, but so it in but I did pay for it, and it, and it is possible and generated some interesting uh, interesting calls and people, shall we say? Uh, that was right before I joined the state of Connecticut, of of which this past year I I just had my 15th anniversary for for working with the state. So who knew? You know, but uh, I have to say, in, in every sense of the word, well, in most sense of the word, I'm, you know, I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of that. I think we've accomplished a lot, just like Bob has accomplished a lot. But you know, billboards, even though maybe we think of that as a outmoded technology, there are still many of them in our state as well, aren't there? Aren't there, Bob? Yes, there are. But as I understand, I know they charge a. a Pretty hefty fee in order to uh, have people utilize them. They're not free. Well, yeah. Unless you find a spot. No, especially on the highways. You know, the major our highways like 91 and and uh, 84. I heard something like uh, perhaps at least uh, five thousand dollars or so, and you know, for a limited time. Mine, mine was able to be up for about six weeks. But again, I think that's great. Looking at the school. What about guidance departments, social work? Uh, there's all kinds of clubs after school that they have. Not only sports, but there's there there are all kinds of uh, of clubs. And if not necessarily, you know, and even with the LGBT community, um, if if they had brochures there, we were. I was just talking. Um, I think it was two weeks ago when Michelle Cruz was on my show, and Jessica and uh, Matt Catania, the, the police chief from Plainville, with regard to disseminating information about victims' rights. And the big push is to try to get brochures when you enter the court about MAD and about survivors of homicide and about um, all of these various nonprofits that can help. And in uh, in a particular period of time, when Michelle was in charge as a state constitutional advocate, they they told her that this was not allowed, which I, I think is very poor, because there's so many people going in and out of the court system. You could have it right there. Um, doctors doctors' offices look when when women go for exams and and all of this kind of thing. So there's many many opportunities. I think. Um, you know, it's it just it just or maybe it takes one big corporation to kind of start the ball rolling. Something that young people utilize a lot, and maybe we could we could see. But um, I would definitely like to stay or get in touch with this task force, and you know, who knows? I'd like to see what their ideas are. So perhaps perhaps maybe we can have Pam Sawyer on, and she could share what the task force is doing. You know, later later on. Um, uh, you know when when she is available, but um, with with respect to uh, you know what what we have what we've covered here thus far, um, I, I'm looking at some of the data the data that I have, and uh, just to share uh, with this person uh, from the person from my website, they they had said that the uh, first center that had the major 
the first major safe haven awareness was in Los Angeles and Southern California area, um, where they had approximately three to over five um, abandoned uh, babies or dead babies on average. And uh, typically across the country, uh, you know, about 50% of those abandoned end up being um, um, unfortunately dead. Um, we talked a little bit about Illinois. Um, they had, the, the data I saw said that there were 100 newborns surrendered, but then some other data had said 72 um, in, in 14 years. For some reason, Florida, Florida has less. Um, and, again, we did talk about Massachusetts, how well they promote awareness um, there. And um, this this person who was writing to me earlier today, they were very adamant that, you know, if you're beyond 60 or or above, you have no business in not advocating for this because young people are not going to listen to you. But I, I think there's a point to be made there, but I think if there could be a collaborative effort. I mean, certainly people like you, Bob, that have law enforcement experience and, and legislators and and maybe advocates such as myself, we could lend some areas of expertise, but also the young people could translate that into their own experience and bring it into their own familiar environments. I mean, I don't know. But do you do you think it's a collaborative effort? I definitely see that, but I also feel that you have to advertise. Get to the kids in school. Get to their uh, somehow to the teachers to pass the information out. They're the ones that can reach one another and to reach even maybe the moms who don't want children. And uh, the case that you described, someone in her the 30s, I guess, uh, unfortunately uh, trashed her baby or tried to. But the bottom line is you have to advertise. Just let these kids know that there is an alternative. I think that's the best way to go. Right, and you know another area that I, I'm thinking of, and again, I don't, I don't mean to um, stereotype, but it is, it is true, and I see in working with people who take me at mass transit a lot because I work with people who are either legally or totally blind, dependent upon buses, buses and paratransit. Buses are a very good means of advertising, and if you don't, if you don't have reliable transportation. A lot of people, especially in inner cities, are dependent on buses, and buses are a very good source of advertisement as well. Um, so that's an, that's another area. I don't know, but it it seems to me that with all the the money that we spend, and every state wastes money, we could come up with some money to to do more PR, to reach out to the places that that we we've, we've spoken about where. Uh, People that are anywhere from 13 to 25 maybe hang out um, in addition to social media. And, um, you know, I really do. I really think that we we could make an impact. And I would like to see, um, you know, a, a documentary made and, and be put on YouTube. We, we, uh, we're going to be involved in a very cool project in which um, – a nonprofit, Bob, in the, in the Atlanta area who solves cold cases is going to be doing an interactive teaching um, project for cold cases across the country. And we're simultaneously going to be um, doing, the, doing uh, uh, teaching of, um, with students involved uh, on YouTube and uh, our radio show is also going to be involved in in the in the month of July. So, when you talk about the potential, um, Delilah, another example. Can you tell us a little bit of background on um, how the PSAs got started for domestic violence with a a voice uh, a voiceover actress? Couldn't somebody could do that as well, right? Sure. Um, there's a lot of voiceover people out there who are willing to donate some of their time to, you know, good issues like this one. Um, yeah, she was a friend of mine who actually did five, I believe. I think there's five very quick 30-second PSAs for domestic violence that we use um, 
throughout the year actually if we have a show on that topic we we run two or three of them and they're very effective it, it yeah you know it, it hits it hits it to the point and you know minces no words it it is what it is and that's the way they have to come across in order to get the message out in 30 seconds yeah and and like you said these these voiceover people are available to donate their 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 time well you know it depends on who it is and and what their area of interest is the person the, who did the the ones for domestic violence had a a personal issue so it was something that she wanted to do and they were invested in that well well bob i think you know a, a few of these things i don't know are you still um going to be involved with with the legislature on the, on this issue pam and um and the other people are you keeping in contact with them about this if they call me i'll be available but i want to tell you both something Back uh-huh. in 2000, this case, this David Paul case, really upset me and many of my uh, police officers. I took two courses, both in Washington, D.C., and one was uh, Missing and Exploited Children, and they have a group that comes up and checks to find out all about the DNA and so forth. And I also uh, took the other course, National Law Enforcement Summit on DNA Technology, which ties in with the Missing and Exploited Children. The group that came up did their level-headed best to try to help us out. As I said, Dr. Lee was involved before that, and no, they couldn't bring this thing uh, to a conclusion like I was hoping they would. But uh, I tried. We tried. Mm-hmm. How how long typically um, does an investigation for this type type of type of crime last? I mean, or is it does it just really depend? How long do you do you pursue? And are these considered then a cold case that people can go back and? and try to reinvestigate, just like other things, Bob. This has been the case that has bothered the police department of the city of Meriden for so long, it'll never, never go away until we find out what happened. And that's a commitment and a promise that I made and uh, the Meriden Police Department has made. Mm-hmm. So was there was there DNA? I mean, did did they did they take samples from, from this, this baby uh, that was frozen, that, that died, and and uh you know store it and then uh, technology catching up with with life i mean is there it uh, have things changed since that time in in which you think maybe th- they will be doing something more to solve this case we have the baby's dna it's a matter of finding the mom piecing it together and then doing what we have to and there's no doubt the mom went through some kind of trauma otherwise she wouldn't have abandoned that baby any young right. lady that would do that has to suffer something to do that to a, an individual that they've carried for nine full months. That's very cold and, and terrible, but we do understand that. But the bottom line is uh, the blood is or the DNA uh, is, on, uh, is in the laboratory, and we're waiting for the day when hopefully we can solve this case and put an end to the David Paul uh, big question, who the mommy was. Yeah. You know, I, well, just, I just have to take a minute and just, you know, really – Sing the praises of law enforcement out there who who have to deal with this and first responders who have to deal with these types of cases. And just as you've said, it does affect you, and it affects yeah. you know thousands of, of law enforcement officers all across the country who, you know, are are the first responders and have to investigate it and have to, you know, go through the trauma of it. And it's very difficult. And and I just think. You know, we we don't thank you enough, and I think that needs to be done a little That's more right. often. Thanks. Thank you. Definitely. By the way, when I was chief, we uh, I started the police academy for civilians, so people who were interested in police work were able to come in and find out just exactly what we did, and they were graded, and they passed. We didn't flunk anybody, but people really enjoy that, and uh, never forgot that. I also started the sex crime unit that we had never had in the city of Meriden, and that was for children. We had a beautiful room set up with cartoons on the walls, and we would give a child, if he or she happened to be molested or had a problem, we would give them a little doll, and uh, our people were trained in the detective division to treat them as they would their own children. So just to fill in those couple of things that you had asked me about before, and I was proud of those two accomplishments as well. 
Wow. Yeah, that's that sounds tremendous. And you know, in these cases, then everything hangs on because you you have no other information, or you would rarely have information on other people. It all hangs on the ID of the mom. Then, right? There's there's no other information to be had unless you found some other type of um, object around around the baby or something like that. Is that true? It's been so long, but the bottom line is, with God's help, maybe the mom will come forward or maybe somehow we'll find out exactly what happened and put an end to this case. Right, but I'm, I'm speaking in general, um, in order to solve it, the, 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 the answers always lie with the mom and, and there's basically nothing, nothing else to hang your hat on. Is that true? No, no, that's it. That's really, it. that's mom. Yeah, and wish uh, I had more to give you. That's basically it. Without the mother, without the proper DNA connection, uh, this case is going to be uh, going on forever. But we're not going to forget about it. Still, as far as right. I'm concerned, open. Meriden Police Department has given their word; they're not going to forget about it, and uh, I'm happy about that. Thank God. Right. Well, well, I think that um, with some of the ideas that we've generated, maybe PSAs with. Again, uh, Bob, if you stay in, in, in touch with some of these people, and I will too. Uh, there are voiceover actors, actresses that may be able to to uh, donate their time with respect to doing more. If if you had the, if you created the uh, resource officers in schools, I mean, I can only imagine that there could be a link there with the resource officers and having um, information available and, and developing a, a rapport, especially if the resource officers are female in schools, Bob. Um, you know, the idea about putting advertisements on buses, if we got a hold of a Connecticut Transit, uh, the ideas of, um, you know, approaching some of the, the social clubs or and, the you know, the guidance departments. I think there's a lot more that could be done in our state as well as in other states, you know, such as South Carolina and, and all of the others. It, it, it really doesn't matter. If someone has a good idea, um, I think we should, you know, grab a hold of it and and um, really do this because the the part about it that upsets me is that it's it's so needless. It's needless to dispose of a child. Um, there there's so many other options. You know there there are you know turn it into a a clinic a hospital. There there are adoptive procedures. There's so many families that cannot have children that that would love to have children, and uh, even if not, you know foster families. Um, no, no, no human being should be disposable in any way, shape, or form. I mean, that's just the way I feel about it, and I'm sure most people do. And I, I just think that the young, the young woman must be in such a state of being distraught and and desperation that I don't know they they don't know what they're doing, or maybe who knows? Maybe they are sociopaths. Maybe they have no. They're selfish and they have no no uh, respect for human life. But I have to think that that's that's in the minority. I would hope. I don't know. This girl from Cheshire only got 18 months after after all the uh, the, the all was said and done. And I think that's unconscionable as well. But at least she got some jail time. Um, and so I think with with that said, we're pretty much winding up the the hour for our show um bob can you can can we give a plug here for your uh for the for the police memorial and because uh, i do want to mention that again that was so impressive and and you do need donations and if people are listening in the connecticut massachusetts new york area to visit can you tell us where where they could send a donation and maybe um Maybe uh, uh, get get in touch and, and come and visit because it is very impressive. Delilah was just you know thanking our law enforcement, and we have had 137 die. Isn't that true, Bob? Since uh, 1855 up to 2010. That's correct. The uh, is that right? Officers consist of FBI, Secret Service, Customs, environment, environmental officers, municipal department officers, as uh, as well throughout the state of Connecticut. 137. Men and women, yeah. and each uh, and every Memorial Day, uh, many of the relatives show up, and uh, 
Donna, you were there. You saw, and it's right. really impressive. And we have uh, the honor guards from many departments show up. We have uh, horses that were brought in uh, from Hartford as well. These are police-mounted horses. And uh, right. we have a rifle salute, and we name the names of each individual with a bell ring after each one. And we have uh, dignitaries throughout the state of Connecticut who express their, their sad feelings about what happened, and we do our level-headed best to keep it uh, Keep it going. Again, we will never forget, ever forget about yeah. our office. Yeah, and it, it, it's very impressive. Is there an address you could say to, to send donations, and then we're going to have to close out the show? Certainly. Make it out to Connecticut Police Chiefs Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation. Mm-hmm. www.ctneverforget.org. Okay. And mail it. I'll repeat that, 285 Preston Avenue, Meriden, Connecticut, 06450. Again, Connecticut Police Chiefs Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation, www, yeah. and it's Connecticut CT, never forget, N-E-V-E-R-F-O-R-G-E-T, dot org, O-R-G. And mail Very it good. 285 Preston Avenue, Meriden. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate you pinch-hitting here on this issue that's close to your heart. And I think we've at least created some awareness and maybe um, opened up the topic for later discussion. Delilah, thank you so much for your input. I really appreciate it. So we're going to close out this edition for Shattered Lights this evening. And please stay tuned for next Saturday for the next edition. So everyone, good evening and have a nice weekend.